You are listening to Changing the Game with me, Wilson Casado. What is the game? The game is everything. Everything from the education you receive to the career or business you pursue. In regards to diversity and inclusion, though, there isn't a level playing field. The show will allow us to hear from those who are challenging the status quo. It is about creating a new future where things are done differently, a future with diversity and inclusion, and most importantly, a future where everyone has access to play the game. It's go time, it's show time. What, a, what an absolute thrill to be here in a really modern kind of event, isn't it? This is a sign of the times. It's 2021, we're sitting in a boardroom in Perth. Wilson is by my side. My name is Carmen Braidwood and I will be your host today. I'm going to introduce to you, Wilson, and Changing the Game, which we are here to launch in more detail very, very soon. First though, I'd like to take care of a few formalities to get us underway by, of course, acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet here in Perth. You might be watching from anywhere right around the world right now, but here in Perth, the traditional custodians of this land are the Wajuk people of the Noongar Nation. And I'd like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Now, changing the game, let me tell you about this fascinating new platform that we're here to celebrate today and launch. It's all about connecting amazing people whose stories show why diversity is good for business and how innovation can impact our world. In season one, Wilson, who's right here next to me, do say hi, Wilson. Don't feel like you can't Hello. speak during Hello, this everyone. <laughs> Great to have you here. Wilson is focusing in on gender equality and equity and speaking to incredible women who've changed the game in their own careers and are bringing along others for the ride. I'm going to chat to Wilson shortly as I keep teasing. We're going to find out more about the Changing the Game program, what inspired him and how you can get involved, especially if you're watching us right now. We'd love to get more people involved in this platform. We're also going to be joined by a very special guest. Her name is Nicole Gacy. She's going to talk to us about idea. And if you have no idea what idea is, then, well, you really should keep watching. Nicole's an incredible woman who I'd really like you to get to know. Now, before we get started, if you are watching online, first of all, thank you for being here. We appreciate that. And I'm sure Wilson appreciates that too. Um, if you have any questions for Wilson or for Nicole, then please put them into the question box. We have our monitors keeping an eye on those and we'll get to those questions right at the end. Please also note today's launch is being recorded. So if you'll be able to watch it anytime after this time, if you have indeed registered for today's webinar launch. Well, let's get underway. I think we need to get started by telling you a bit more about Wilson and talking more about changing the game. To tell you about Wilson Casado, Wilson is a firm believer that education and diversity are key to an innovative future. He's forever looking for opportunities where most aren't already looking. Wilson's a dad, a husband, an entrepreneur, a business owner and a Perth angel. He's passionate about sharing his own experiences to help others on their journey and has created Changing the Game for others to do the same. 
With a keen focus on diversity, education and innovation, Wilson's determined to be part of a future we can all be proud of. That's a nice set of accolades, Wilson. <laughs> Wilson, welcome. Very nice words, Carmen. So thank you very much. So uh, and thank everyone that that's watching us. Yeah, great to have um, have you here today in this in this busy Perth boardroom of a beautiful Perth office, and also connecting with so many people around the world right now. Wilson, tell us what does changing the game mean to you? So uh, well, uh, the the game the game is everything. The game is everything from the education you get you know, the professional experiences you have uh, is life. That's what uh, the game is. Changing the game for me is, uh, is, is, is a platform for us to share the stories of people that have been challenging the status quo. People that have, you know, find, found, have found adversity in their life, their own lives, but then somehow were able to, to change that and, and, and to have access to the game somehow. So we want to hear those stories so uh, some people can relate to that and, and eventually we're going to uh, help those people that today feel they don't have a chance. Mm. So tell me, why are you so passionate about gender equality and, and gender equity in particular? Uh, that, that comes back a bit uh, in my own journey to reflect uh, how, how things have been for me uh, during my life. Mm. So in doing that reflection, I come back to the, you know, the early ages, and you know, as we still in childhood and 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 teenager times, and then getting into adulthood. So I, every time that I reflect to where I got the strengths to get out there and to do what we haven't been doing, my mind come back to my mom and my grandma. Uh, I think many of the uh, skills and and the, the treats that. Uh, the, the strengths that I have in, in, in business and, and as, as a dad, as a husband, it came from then. Mm. What it strikes me though, is that uh, I could see how frustrated they are in their own lives because they couldn't do what they wanted. Mm. They feel that, uh, you know, society would inspect that from then. So they would behave in a certain way and following, you know, a certain path. And I think that uh, hold them back to be uh, doing what they love. Mm. So I think uh, that's just, you know, the, the, the times now are, are, are different. I think uh, the whole conversation about gender uh, equity, gender equality is part of our lives these days. So uh, I still think many people don't feel uncomfortable and, and don't have access. So uh, that's where my passion comes. So I, I would love to you know, young girls or women at all ages that still dreaming what they can do, they can relate to these stories and find their own way. And what are your hopes at a, at a greater level, even greater level than what you've already mentioned, mm -hmm. the, for what will come after people see this series? Well, uh, the, hope, the hope is that, I will, look, is, there is a big dream and there is, you know, you act here local and, and mm. small. So I want to uh, one person to be able to listen to these stories and, and somehow something trigger their own will to make a difference, to change the game for themselves. Mm. If we're able to impact one life, there will be enough. There will be, uh, there will be great. There is a big dream that one become all. Yeah. 
but if if I if I can uh, positively influence one life, it would be awesome. It'll be worthwhile. Yes, definitely worthwhile. <laughs> now, season one in particular focuses on women. You yourself, though, of course, have an interesting story of diversity, having come to a new country, started life here, and a business. Are you going to focus on different aspects of diversity in future seasons of Changing the Game? So that's a good question. <laughs> uh, look, uh, the Changing the Game is actually focusing diversity, education, and innovation. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, different different aspects of how people can change the games for themselves. Uh, obviously, I mentioned before, when we talk about diversity, gender diversity is particularly uh, close to my heart. But I talk diversity in in a, in a bigger in a in a bigger sort of perspective. Yes. Uh, so uh, I started life in in a middle low social class and and. Uh, somehow, I was very lucky and fortunate and privileged to have uh, to have access to have good education, to have a loving mom and grandma that encouraged me the whole way, uh, and that that is a significant change. And immigration itself. Uh, uh, one one interesting thing, Carmen, is that doing the interviews that are already done so far. So it's an incredible journey that makes you reflect and and remind steps of your journey that you actually forget yeah so it's just you know stored there in your memory uh, and and then when we hear those stories of yeah hey, right and then different perspectives so that's fantastic so yeah no coming back to your question is diversity a general so there is I, i'm also very passionate about exploring uh, this, you know, the, Australia welcomed me so well, so yeah. beautifully, and and then I have been learning this story of the first Australians and and the difficulty that they have to have access to the game, mm. and I would love to have conversations about that as well. Yeah, fantastic, mm. and I really like your reflections around being empowered when you start to look back on your own story by how that can actually impact those around you. So if you've never shared in, in a program or a platform setting like changing the game before, you know, it might be something to start thinking about because we all have stories that can help other people. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And, and they're worth sharing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now I've heard you say diversity is good for business. What are some actions that business leaders who might be watching right now can actually implement to make a difference? So look, uh, is uh, today is this not new anymore? So we already have several examples out there that show that when we bring diversity to the to the table in a business setting, so it actually helps the team to perform better, mm -hmm. uh, to be inclusive and to give access is 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 a step for today. So every business person, every decision maker should really reflect on that and, and, and bring along. If, uh, I'm, I'm sure that in the business setting, sometimes we cut short our thinking, uh, don't go in those self-reflections ourselves. Uh, if those decision makers really think about, you know, their own journey and what was pivotal in their, their stories, they will see that diversity makes a big difference. So they, they need to start today and, and be inclusive. Yeah, and, and you know, there are measurable outcomes that come from having a diverse team as you as you pointed out things that people do turn to care about are things like culture and the bottom line yeah. can you say that there's there's evidence that diversity 
supports and improves those things? So uh, definitely. So I'm, I'm talking about the, the real impact in business outcomes. Yeah. I'm not talking about the, the most, uh, the, the only the uh, non-tangible sort yeah. of outcomes of yeah. that. So uh, a story that I, that I heard uh, that's very uh, exemplary of that mm -hmm. is that uh, with that lack of diversity, uh, companies that do, you know, their own product designs, you know, do product designs with a non-diverse group on the tables. And, and let's say for that sake, uh, you know, white men dominated sort of environment mm -hmm. making decisions. So you're making decisions about products for children, uh, products for elderly, products for women, mm -hmm. when actually you don't have that diversity to test you know, whether those mm. products are appropriate or not. That's a more very clear example. So if you want to uh, touch on those markets and really be successful in those markets, it's, it's just obvious that you need that diversity on the table. Yeah. That's just one example that will hold on that for uh, as, as we don't have all the time of the award yeah. here now. Yeah, for future seasons of changing the game. So where can we go to listen to and watch the latest episodes of changing the game? So uh, before I say where, so no, look, this has been for me individually uh, uh, a, a very interesting journey. I'm, I'm finding out more about myself. I'm getting myself out of the comfort zone. I do appreciate the people that already came and accept to be interviewed by me because it's such a generous, uh, just such a generosity from them uh, to come and give the time and open up and be uh, I'm very humble and appreciative of that. Uh, we do have, uh, 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 sorry, we do have a Changing the Game YouTube channel. You can go there. We are already going to have a few episodes live from now. We launched today. I've seen them. They look great. Yeah. Oh, so here we go. <laughs> so, and also in your preferred podcast platform, there will also be a Changing the Game uh, podcast available there. So you can just go to where you normally go to get your podcast. So in short, you're everywhere. Oh, that's, uh, yeah, that's scared. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be frightened by it. Yeah. That's the way to make an impact. It's certain, that, that's what it is. Yeah, you've definitely begun that proce process, Wilson. So that's very exciting. Congratulations on today's launch. I really do hope that after we're done here talking with our next guest uh, and Wilson, that you do go and seek out Changing the Game on YouTube and on your preferred podcast platform. Wilson, thanks so much for taking us through that. I'd like you to stay here as I introduce our guest speaker and we'll have a bit of a chat together about her idea. Can you see what I did there? Yeah, Nicole Gazy is from IDEA. She's an advocate for innovative, personalised education that recognises young people's talents and empowers them to reach their potential. Thanks for joining us, Nicole. Nicole's experience as a mum of a creative child whose ability or potential was not reflective of his performance at school was the inspiration behind Innovation Design Entrepreneurship Academy or idea it's a really fantastic idea i'm looking forward to hearing a lot more about it and after witnessing the negative impacts his experience of school was having on her son's self-worth and the lack of opportunities available for him to build upon his innate skills and talents nicole search for alternatives revealed very little options and so like any resourceful woman came up with a strategy herself nicole thanks so much for being here for the launch nice to 
be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really great to have you here. I'd love to hear more about your son, the mm. story behind Idea and why you decided to create this. Yeah, um, I think it was not necessarily a decision. It was a moral obligation, I think, you know, um, we, um, when you have a child, all the hopes and, and wonders of the world are there. And um, certainly, you know, he was a very rambunctious little one. Um, and time came for him to enter into education. Um, I was always, I've always been quite interested in um, personalised education and student-centred education. So he did go into Montessori and that was really great for him to explore. But um, even within the alternative education sphere, there is a level of standardisation. Um, and so we noticed that over time, he wasn't necessarily meeting certain milestones along with the other students or engaging um, with the education program the way that you know that, that would be expected to yeah. so it wasn't really overt there were just some little signs um there and a few little concerns and just thinking maybe he just needs to have a good run in the oval or whatever and um <laughs> but when you know the, the further up the education um pathway he went you could see that there was he wasn't actually fitting in and I know that he wasn't alone. There's many, many parents like this. Um, and it's a particularly problem for boys, I think. Um, yeah. uh, the system that gets them to sit down and get work done on a certain time, at a certain time, and having standardised yeah. um, assessments. And um, they're really high risk, actually, assessments, because you get one shot um, at it. Yeah. And um, if you don't pull through, then um, you know that has a uh, negative impact. So really, that was just my observation as a parent. Um, and then obviously going shopping for high schools, what was out there. Um, so went into the mainstream public system. Um, the public system here is a really, really good system. But again, um, when you have thousands of students at a school, you can only do so much um, in terms of tailoring it. So um, I'm lucky enough to have a career in the education sector. Mm -hmm. And I think that at that time I was involved in a lot of projects um, looking at student transitions and how to prepare young people for the world beyond school yeah. and how that connection lies. There's actually very few of us that were, operate in that at that intersect where you have industry um, training, higher education and school come together to have those conversations. I was just mm. lucky enough to be at the table for that. So knowing where he needed to get to and what was on offer for him, mm. the skills that he has and many other really creative, innovative young people. Um, the problem is that the system is still kind of focusing on structures that are probably more relevant to a standardised um, system like the industrial era. So there's huge um, changes afoot there. You can imagine a hundred year plus old beast trying to change within yeah. a political environment is a big thing. And the system actually meets the needs of a lot of, a lot of people. But really what the world is looking for and the world of work is looking for are a lot of the skills that these young people who are slipping through the cracks have got. Yeah. So my experience of working in a school um, as well and in that career guidance um, kind of role and speaking to parents who also had that same petrified look on their face that I did when I was um, trying to look for options for my son, just think it was really hard to convince them that this child was actually okay, going to be okay, but we couldn't really didn't have anything to offer them while they're at school that could develop those skills. So with any talent, if you don't use it and you don't build upon it, you do actually lose it. Yeah. So that's there's a lot of missed opportunities for young people like that. So where idea landed was me giving myself four years before my son got to senior secondary school 
to come up with an alternative that um, there are alternatives out there, but they're usually philosophically aligned. They're not for everybody and they're costly. Um, so not everybody has access to them. So using my background in education and my network um, and my experience as a mother seeing firsthand the impact on young people and what I needed as a, a customer, I guess, of the system, started to put together the concept of idea um, at that senior secondary end, year 11 and 12. My philosophy always is that year 11 and 12 are the first two years of your career, not the last two years of school. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, great. So it's quite, a, there's a lot of strategic opportunities at that time to help young people to transition smoothly to that next step instead of going, oh, you finished, you've done your exam, see you later, good luck. You know, so um, we thought about, um, yeah, developing idea um, and the 2021 program um, is very much in that student support um, mm -hmm. and family support um, space. Yeah. Um, while we obviously have a lot of young people who have either left the system or are being home educated mm -hmm. or they're independent learners, so they might be doing online learning, but they're missing that wraparound service of a school. So that's where we're focusing on at the moment. But the bigger vision is to have a full-time program. Wow. Um, where we obviously, it's all portfolio-based, looking at the new way of credentialing um, and in involving students in on the ground work experiences and internships with local businesses and really embedding that education in the real world because they're young adults i don't know if you know any 16 17 year olds sure but they've got yeah, one at home good okay <laughs> mine's 18 so you know full well that you cannot baby these people no, anymore. they're adults yeah. yes and they like to be babied at certain times when they want their washing done and yeah. things but there's, cooked. Yeah. yeah yeah there's a real opportunity there isn't there if yeah. you um start to i guess wrap the education around them but in the real world while they're doing stuff to prepare themselves. So brokering opportunities for them and setting them up with a network. And that's how we all make our ways. And yeah. we have networks and everybody helps each other. And yeah. yeah, so that's that's kind of the story of where we, um, how we got to today sitting in this seat. So, Great yeah. story. Thank you for sharing it. And I'm, I'm, yeah, it is a good story, isn't it? And it's remarkable in particular because so many people watching right now will relate to that experience of sitting there and looking at the status quo and thinking there's a need here. I know how to address that need. And where they might be falling short right now is, okay, what do I do next? Who do I go to? Where do I get help? How do I actually make my idea, in your case, literally, it was idea. Yeah. How do I make this thing real? Mm. What, what's your advice to those people? Oh, okay. What Just get used do? to not having much sleep is the first <laughs> first <laughs> tip. Three hours sleep is all I need now. Yeah. Um, no, I, was, I think that I've just been lucky, and I said before it's a bit of a moral obligation. Um, the reason I say that is because I had the insight into the system, and I know how intricate it is, and I know um, how high risk it can be as well, and how um, politically sensitive education mm. can be. Um, I also understand um, the absolute commitment that our school leaders have and our teachers have and our even, you know, all the way up through the Department of Education, etc. Everybody wants the best for young people, mm. just we're operating in this space. So I think that that was a key um, thing being within the system. Um, but then it was obviously going out to families and seeing if I wasn't just the only one that thought there's this gap here, yeah, what so if it looked like research. this? Yeah, so a fair bit of market research. I'm talking a couple of years worth. Yeah, right. And that was just starting with informal conversations um, and then going conversation, um, having conversations with colleagues um, and families and students, etc. And then starting to float the business is an integral part of this program. So going out into the business world. And to be honest, I 
since connecting with the business world, I've realized that there is um, a wealth of generosity um, out there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> That's okay. I'll turn up the volume for you a little bit there. We're having a bit of trouble hearing you, Nicole. That's a bit of a feedback. Really Thank thing. you. That's Thank nice. you very much. I know you're used to being heard nice and loud. Yeah, right? yeah, I really am. <laughs> How's that? Um, do let us know. We're monitoring everything that's going on. So if you're having trouble hearing, just let us know. We've got a bit of background music from a noisy cafe next door. So yeah. <laughs> we're trying to compete with that. Um, and of course, we'll uh, we'll make sure in the recording you're able to hear everything you need to hear if you want to go back and watch any of this. So Nicole, you're talking about your market research process, mm -hmm. going out to the people who you know that you need to help mm. and getting feedback from them and it took a couple of years did you do anything to formalize that strategy over and above having conversations yeah I mean we um, engaged in accelerator programs um, to really kind of bed that down and this has been I've been on my own learning journey this whole time um, okay. Google has been out um, my best friend um, and my <laughs> business partner's best friend we'll often Google something just before a meeting get it in our head and then move in um, to the meeting with a um, intelligence, new intelligence. Yep. So we're, we're learning as well. Um, but um, in term, terms of formalising it, yeah, it was accelerated programs. We were fortunate enough to have been given introductions to people and then yep. we just had more and more conversations. So um, we have done, uh, you know, statistical analysis of the market, et cetera, to kind of back up and validate what we think, our hypotheses um, of the market. Um, and we're really also fortunate enough that there's a model very similar to it, but with a sports context that has been highly successful um, in Australia. And they're having amazing outcomes with young people. So um, we've been able to observe some of their um, successes and, and how they've um, you know, broke it, broken into the market as well. Great. So another strategy of looking for a similar program, yep. you know, that you can kind of look to model and learn from, which is an excellent thing. Now, Wilson, I might bring you in here. And Nicole mentioned getting really great access to business and good response from business. Mm -hmm. As a as a as a person in business, what what do you think when you hear about it about something like what Nicole's putting out into the market? I think uh one of one of the business perspectives that 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 we have that we in, in our business so we use our own business as an example so we always after uh young people talent you know as a good hearted uh, you know people to come and work with us mm. and one thing that we do find and everybody you know complains about it's that you know there's not enough people that you know the candidates are not there and mm. etc so, which is quite uh, antagonic with that sort of, uh, you know, there is an employment out there. Yeah. And then you're saying, well, there is not enough people to come and fill these jobs. And yet our universities and schools are pumping out people. Yeah. So where's the disconnect? That's right. And I think there is a big, it's a big part of this conversation is what Nicole is, Nicole is saying, which is uh, not necessarily we're actually offering those young people uh, the resources that they need and, and, and the sort of, you know, we have been doing as we always did. It's a, it's a traditional education. If you pass through that sort of, uh, uh, you know, the uh, stream, so you you success successful. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, you're not. You mm -hmm. even have this kind of a fail brand to it. Yeah. With actually, we're losing talent over there. Mm -hmm. So as a as a business, so we are actually engaging in in high school to 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 be mentors to give them. I do you know better a better flavor of, of what the real work environment is about. Yeah. So that's that's one a little way for for business I think to be involved with. Yeah. I think there's there's 3.9 million 
um, students in, in Australia. Wow. And if you think one system is completely responsible for that, for developing you know, their general capabilities, their foundational skills of literacy and numeracy, um, and now there's this, as the world changes so rapidly, there's this responsibility put on the system to really help young people with those work skills. And yet for a lot of people that have been in education, they went to school and they trained to go back to school and become teachers. Mm. So they're experts in their field, but that's where I really believe that a collaboration between industry, business, education, training, um, that's where the future lies, I think, with education, where it's not one system's responsibility anymore to, to develop a young person for life beyond school. Mm. It has to be that multi systemic, um, multi-dimensional, I guess, um, approach to education. And yeah. so that's what we're starting to see hints of, but it will be slow. So I think things like idea or anything else like that is the um, immediate response and test case yeah. um, to be able to build upon without what we learned there um, to see larger scale policy change and system-wide solutions. A little less of that set and, for set and forget kind of attitude to education. Yep. I've, I've paid for this. Yep that kid's right, or I'm yeah. right, I've paid for this education, we've no, done we're going to more of it on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. What a fantastic program you've got on your hands there, Nicole. You mentioned mm. your 2021 program. Uh, tell me, you know, have of the people who are coming through the program, what are some of the, the moments that made you say, wow, this is going to work, this is yeah. a great thing? A funny thing, we didn't mean to have a 2021 program, it just came to us. So um, one example that was highly successful was a a very, very capable young student mm -hmm. who had gone through private education um, and in year 11 and 12 needed something more because he went to you know, a very good school, um, but it just wasn't meeting his needs. He'd been a business person for since he was 12, putting on dog shows, etc., and bringing wow. in community yeah. members. He's just one of those types of students. Um, um, took himself off to another school um, that has a very good reputation for being highly innovative, but still wasn't enough. So he reached out to us to see if we had a full-time program to which we said we didn't at that point in time, but I'd be happy to meet with him and his parents and just discuss um, where he's at and what he's thinking and offer some advice on what he could be doing in the next, in his final two years of school. Yeah. And I was talking to him and I was, you know, laying out the options, maybe you just do this and it's only three terms until the end of year 12, you could just make it through and blah, blah, blah. Found out that he had a multinational company that he was, <laughs> he was operating <laughs> outside of school. Yeah. Um, just one of those people with um, huge amounts of talent. Um, and as I was talking, I, was, I just said, I went, you know what, I think you're beyond school now. I think yeah. it's time for, to try and go to university because you're doing what first years and even second years haven't done yet. Yes. So we went and knocked on the door of a great university in, in, in Perth and got to speak to their admissions people and the School of Business, the Dean of um, of studies there and I just wound him up basically and put his portfolio in front of him and pushed him in front of the audience and um, he sold it so he is, should be in year 12 this year but he's actually in uni um, I in love first that. year uni what an extraordinary so success story he's an under-engaged student we're not just talking about disengaged there's yeah. highly talented students out there who, who wasn't doing his ATAR because mm. he didn't want to sit still in a class um, but he's now sitting in university 
because of his portfolio of evidence and because of his connections and his experience. Yeah, and, and, and all respect to elite private schools, but they're commercial entities yeah. and they're hardly going to turn someone away and say, look, you've, you've done here, yeah. we don't need yeah. to put you through year 12. Yeah. So yeah. just knowing there are other options on the table would yeah. be highly beneficial to families like these who are really dealing with, as you say, under engagement. You yeah. know, it's hard enough to send kids, kids to school when they are engaged. I've just put yeah. a child through year 12. It's hard going. Yeah. So to get someone to go along when they're feeling like there's nothing here for them anymore must be a, mm -hmm. more than just a, an education battle. It's a life battle. This it is, is. And I think yeah. we need to listen to them as well. And we say that there's 12 years of school, but for some there's 10 and for some there's 11 and some there's 13, you know, so we need to listen and have that agility within the system. And I'm seeing evidence of it, but that's a really great example of someone who could have missed that opportunity. Yeah. Um, yeah. If, if we didn't um, intervene. Nicole, really fantastic stories, an incredible product, great program. I can see Wilson beaming with pride at just at being able to use even the launch of this platform to give you a platform to, yeah, to share a story yeah. like that. I hope that that when the time comes, you'll say yes to being interviewed by Wilson for changing the game. <laughs> because Nicole is changing the game. I think you're the embodiment of, of what this podcast and this platform and this show is all about. So yeah, a high five already there, Wilson. Yeah, nice <laughs> Fantastic, really fantastic. Where do we find out more about IDEA? So at the moment, we've got a very startup um, version of our website. So there's probably enough information there and you can subscribe for all of our updates because things are changing daily at the moment um in our in our business so yeah yeah great well i'm looking forward to seeing what's next there's yeah. certainly a lot of potential there and i'm looking forward to that episode of changing the game wilson mm. how are you feeling changing the game is launched well look i couldn't be happier so uh <laughs> this is what the changing the game is about so sometimes you have uh i actually even confess that i have that sort of you know changing the game with wilson casado and believe it or not i'm a shy introvert people so everybody's gonna say nah nah you're not <laughs> <laughs> uh but uh but it's not about me at all so i just a small conduit for these stories so, and the yeah. launch gave that live here that's great so uh, Nicole also have uh, a, a co-founder Rebecca, yeah, Rebecca. that you know that we have been talking with. These such amazing people changing the game as we go, mm -hmm. right? So it's, you can't have a better example than that. So you should just mention that you'd have in your mind that you know I have to go, you know, now 10, 11, 12 university. Now that's mm -hmm. a different story of changing the game. Mm -hmm. You're challenging yeah. the status quo, and sharing this story is what changing the game show is about. And I love that reflection uh, from each of you that you, uh, you identify with being more of an introvert. I think that more people out there than we realise are actually introverted people. That's why I choose to be a broadcaster and spend most of my time engaging just with one person in my mind's eye through the camera and uh, through the microphone. And that's, you know, that's an opportunity that you're both creating now to give people who are less inclined to seek out connection an opportunity and a platform to do that. So we've got two really fantastic stories within the launch of Changing the Game. So thank you for sharing it with us. Now it's time to turn over to your questions. If you're watching us as we launch Changing the Game right now, anywhere around the world, I'd love to hear what your questions are. We have Megan McNeil here monitoring your questions and has some ready for our panel to answer. 
yeah, I think you should just, I guess you could just go ahead and read it out loud and we should be able to hear you if you use a big voice. <laughs> okay, I've got um, Dr. Catherine Layton. Wilson, what do you think is the 50-50 gender diversity target set by many businesses? Do you think this is even possible and is it enough? So I'll repeat the question while you think about your answer there. The 50-50 target set by gender diversities, is the target enough? So uh, that's a very interesting question. So funny enough, I was having a conversation about these uh, quotas or, 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 or targets yesterday. So I, I, I give you, Catherine, and, and everybody that's listening, or thanks for the question, Catherine. <laughs> so uh, when, when I have conversations about gender diversity uh, and, and, and gender equality, gender equity, so I have a chat about that beforehand as well. So for me, the quotas is part of that process to, to make things a little bit more level. Uh, I don't think a 50-50 quota is the answer for what we're going for. I think the answer is to have a system that's fair, that treats both men and women fair, that gives the opportunity, don't judge or, 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 or exercise some sort of a, a prejudice based in the fact that in, in, in your gender, right? Mm -hmm. And that goes for all diversity, all other diversities as well. Is the 50-50 achievable? Uh, I think to be more balanced is definitely achievable. So we, uh, in the industry that, that we operate is the uh, maths industry, the engineering, maths mm -hmm. and, and, and science. Uh, we do know that uh, women is a, a lot underrepresented there. So, and our company, when we go after candidates to come and join us, uh, the female candidates are not there in the traditional way to get to them. Mm. So we are exploring a whole lot of other things. And we're finding out that, you know, that, that the girls don't have enough role models to talk about their career mm -hmm. in maths. Uh, the girls don't have a place where they can go and, and learn those skill sets, in us, in, in, which is safe for them. So as we create those conditions, we will come up, come to to that sort of, uh, you know, level playing field, and mm. and 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 have a more balanced uh, uh, number of uh, you know genders. Uh, yeah, I, I think the 50-50 uh, is 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 a tool, is a mechanism. It, it helps to accelerate the process in certain cases. Yeah, fair enough. Any thoughts, Nicole? Yeah, I'm just uh, thinking of, of my own experience. You mentioned um, the co-founder of Idea, Rebecca. Um, Loftus and she at the moment is pregnant and you know has a little one as well and we we talk about how we want to also um, really change the game in the workforce that we have um, mm -hmm. as idea grows um, and how you know women we have breaks in our career because we're child rearing um, and there needs to be some thinking really around you know board membership and, and the way that the workforce and the work day um, and the work week is constructed so that we don't have those gaps because I've certainly been in, um, in interviews where someone saw a gap and asked what I'd been doing during that time um, mm -hmm. and I know many other women that have um, been questioned on their break in employment mm -hmm. um, and so there needs to be some kind of recognition some way that either we don't need to answer to it or that there is value placed on that role um, yeah. that we take 
and then offering men the exact same opportunity to be that primary carer so that um, women can go back to work, which I know some companies are providing that opportunity, but it's still, when that does happen, you go, oh, wow, your company gives um, yeah. in a paternal leave. That's that's great for the, and so that shouldn't be a surprise really. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. No, great thoughts from both of you. Thank you very much. Any other questions, Megan? Okay, I've got Renato Casado. Thanks, Nicole. I'm particularly interested in issues regarding first employment for youth and as such, your comment regarding future partnerships for internships. Is your organisation doing anything, anything in this sphere yet? Not yet, but the idea is that because they're in year 11 and 12, um, the, the concept of their portfolio is that we will um, broker partnerships for them. So essentially they've got personal assistance for two years. So mm -hmm. they come to us and say, I'm interested in these fields, um, or I think I might be interested in you know, a range of fields. And our job is to actually go and get work placements for them, obviously prepare them to be, um, to be prepared for that. Um, but the business partnerships that we have, um, we have some already, but they, yeah. they're going to be integral to this program. Um, yeah, great. So how those internships look will obviously be um, at the um, discretion of the, of the businesses that we work with. So Fantastic. Yeah. I can imagine there may be a few leaders watching right now just frothing at the idea <laughs> of getting some of these young minds into their yeah. business. So yeah. I guess reaching out to you through idea would be a good thing to do. Yes, we do have a part, um, a feature on our page to say if you'd like to partner with us, um, yeah. to click that button and um, get in touch. Yeah, Yeah. No, these are definitely the innovative businesses of, of our future too yeah. that would be willing to get involved in this kind of thing. So fantastic. Um, any thoughts around those kinds of placements? You know, taking kids who are younger mm. into that kind of working environment will have some inherent challenges. Uh, does anything come to mind or would you see that most businesses would approach it pretty enthusiastically? I, I think I think what comes to mind is this. So we, uh, in our company, we do have an internship program. Uh, mm. This internship program is still the more traditional mm. way of doing it, still going to universities and and getting those sort of uh, last year or second last year student to come and start their careers in our business. Right? So we talk a lot about what the effort to be able to make that because that makes, uh, you know, the organization uh, need to put resources into mm -hmm. it, need to spend time into it. So sometimes it, it, it makes, uh, you know, the decision makers think whether this is the right or not place to put those resources. So when we look at the outcome, those, though, so every time that we go uh, and spend the, enough time nurturing those young people to 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 become us, our mm. successors, you know, uh, I used to say that we we want them to become better than us because we we obsolete, we're getting old, yeah. so we need to you know the young ones to be better, not not, and to replace us. That that's that's uh, uncomfortable, but very. You know, it's a uh, good goal to have, really. Yeah. yeah. So uh, going a little bit down, uh, you know, that sort of traditional model, engaging not university students, but engage with high school students, which is something that we're talking about doing with the girls and in, in, in STEM programs yes. that we're going to, get, you know, the high schools to teach them, to maybe inspire them to follow yeah. the career. And having them coming to do internships with uh, with the, the, the companies, uh, yeah, will require the companies to put some resources into it. Mm -hmm. But I don't see any 
better application for resources than that. Yeah, and knowing that, you know, that two year or maybe year long investment or however long that placement might be could lead to having those genuinely suitable applicants mm -hmm. when, as you mentioned, all too often you don't have suitable yeah. applicants. And we jobs. always say if a young person goes to placement and doesn't like it, that's a success because you've actually mm -hmm. narrowed down a pathway that's they're not um, missing opportunities or going and engaging in a degree that they're not interested in. So that mm. try before you buy is really important. And the other thing to consider is that, we, yes, we're talking about 16 to 18 year olds. And I think with IDEA, with their vocational training and the human-centered design project-based learning that we're emulating the world of work every day, um, I think it's important for programs like ours um, really does prepare young people for that work environment, but also that students don't have to go on placement at a mm. business. Businesses can come to IDEA or um, other education providers and say, here's our problem. Can you guys just have a think tank and yeah, come wow. up with a range of solutions for us? That's a work skill. We hold a board meeting. We do a human-centered design process with them um, and take them through that. And that becomes a project for their English, math, science, whatever it is. So that's the concept is that business can come in as well as the students go out and the students will not go out until they're prepared, obviously. Um, so hmm. it is that, um, I guess, um, reciprocal relationship that we want to start to model and show that young people don't have to necessarily be a, a burden. And when they come, they do add value hmm. because they've been prepared fantastic. Um, to add value. Yeah, yeah, really fantastic. Any other questions? We've got quite a few questions coming. Quite a few questions coming. Let's whip through them. So we have Lauren and congratulations, Wilson. Can you tell me what do you do in your business to promote diversity? So, uh, yes, there are a number of things that we're doing. So, uh, well, one very simple phase thing, very basic. So when, when we recruit people, hmm. so their backgrounds, their gender, that, that we, we, we have checking balances between the partners and the people doing the recruitment to make sure that those aspects that are not relevant for the job are not taken into consideration, mm -hmm. right? It means treating every candidate fairly. So it's, it's, it seems, uh, when I say that, it seems like, well, but isn't that what everybody should do and, mm -hmm. and, and do it? So you know, is, is that anything different? Well, uh, it is different. And if you do really, you know, uh, do a self-reflection on the bias mm -hmm. and in particular the unconscious bias that you may have around, uh, particularly when, when initially you're not diverse in your own team. So you, you, you're going to see that some decisions sometimes are not fair. Having said that, uh, the process proved to be uh, quite good. So what we're seeing is, is a balanced number of women in leadership. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as a, and we have questions about that sort of 50-50 balance. And, and we're seeing that in leadership in, in, in our organization. Uh, we're also seeing uh, the diversity in uh, the linguistic diverse or the background sort of diversity in business. So mm -hmm. uh, here, here in Western Australia, this is not new. So we do have lots of uh, immigration is a is a big relevant uh, factor in, in our society in Western Australia. And the last time that we counted, we had 17 different uh, uh, ethnical origin or, or, or different language mm. uh, in only 80 people. Uh, 
Another uh, important thing there that's more specific for, maybe we have some people in the audience for that. Uh, there is some myths around uh, international students and you know whether they do have access to work in Western Australia or not. Mm. So that's a, a, a very, uh, uh, it, you know, a specific example of what we, we don't have that distinction. We don't make that distinction. A candidate could be an international student. It, it actually doesn't matter whether you're an international student in, or not. Mm. So you're being selected in other matters in, you know, in a skill set in what you study. So we welcome those international students. That make a huge difference in the workforce, make a big difference in the diversity that we have on the ground. Mm. Well, let's not forget many companies are, of course, global. Mm. Full Makes stop. Sense. So even yeah. as we have our story of being global, and that's another evidence of how we do it. Yeah, fantastic. All right, we'll keep going through the questions. And this is from Stefan. Hi, Nicole. Idea is such an interesting concept of innovating the way of education. However, we all know that it's a challenging process to alter people's perception of how education should be. What are some of the strategies and actions Idea is taking to position itself among other traditional education providers and encourage parents and students to make that change? Yeah, it is really tough and kind of scary sometimes as well when you squeeze your way into the market and you're doing something a little bit different. And we've always said that we work alongside the system, not um, absolutely not to replace it because it does work for many. Um, so we've actually, um, our strategy was to go to the converted already. Um, mm -hmm. And that is the home education uh, network. There's a growing population of that and COVID accelerated the um, increase in the number of students who opted not to go back to school. Um, and also there's students that are engaging on, in online learning um, through, um, there's a, a national school um, at the moment that does online learning. Um, so we call them independent learners or they might be um, you know, part in training but want to um, engage in some, some other education. So that's where we've started and we thought to change the system is really big and it is happening it's going to happen the system will change it's just going to take quite a long time to do that just because of the very nature of legislation and things like that so mm. um our concept is to just get on with it um and just start to model and experiment and um and play with how to um utilize the current system and its strengths um, but obviously personalizing it for a niche market of students so um, once that occurs and there's trust and rapport and um, evidence as well evidence that it, it operates that's when we can start to work with the system to see what elements can be rolled out um, more um, and, to, and to bring it to scale yeah fantastic and, and doing things like today just getting the word out there yeah. and just educating people on the value yeah. of this program is um absolutely going to help yeah fantastic do we have any more questions yes we are flooded <laughs> with questions <laughs> Enzo is asking wilson and nicole in your opinion primary schools do the primary schools have enough tools to inspire female students to pursue a career in stem fields how important is having female role models from different backgrounds for young children I, th I think it's super important. And when you were talking about what you were going to be doing with your um, uh, encouraging young women into STEM, I gave a talk probably about two years ago at a school um, to um, for the maths department to all the girls. They had a girls in STEM evening with the mums and the aunties and the um, girls. And I was really amazed to hear that there were 
Um, often the reason girls don't choose maths, um, high level maths or high level science is because they're the only one in the yeah. room and then there's boys. And mm -hmm. so they actually need peers. So um, I think female mathematics and science teachers are your first go to yeah and um, they're the best the most accessible models role models for those girls but then to do for schools to do some work around I think that you know I went to an all-girls school I can't say that it was the greatest um, experience but um, I think there is something to be said about um, you know gender specific classes for particular subjects mm. sometimes and you know, I guess that schools have to kind of consider the cohort they've got and sometimes there may be a gender balance but in those schools where you where they see that lack of gender balance, that um, buddying up young people, um, young girls um, to enter into a classroom um, or to have a discrete cl classroom themselves would also yeah. be really helpful. Bit of moral support, yeah, you yeah. know, the, like any form of learning, you're putting yourself out there. We've yeah. already talked about naturally introverted people. Yeah. And if a young woman happens to be introverted, you're hardly going to speak up in a classroom full yeah. of of your peers who potentially might yeah. you know, be viewed as someone who yeah. would or be you. the only girl in the classroom. Yeah. So um, my my mother, in, in fact, she is a um, was the one of two women at university. She's a mathematician. She was one <laughs> of two women, and um, she said that if she didn't have that other girl, she probably would have dropped out. So yeah, yeah. wow, yeah, really incredible. Any thoughts around that one? I do. So maybe a different perspective to it. So I'll look. Uh, um, my my experience with more primary schooling your kids, so it's very limited. So I have more practical life experience with my children and potentially cousins and uh, not cousins, nephews. And, oh, yes. uh, I think uh, I have I have been hearing quite quite frequently from these very young people that they don't like maths, right? mm. and and. And I think they come, I think their parents tell them, go and talk to, uh, to Wilson, to, oh, yeah. <laughs> to Uncle Wilson, because he <laughs> loves maths and etc. which is true. So I'm quite biased there. But what I have me experienced with the young children I talk with about maths is that the perception of maths are completely different from mine, I guess. So what I try to give to them is that different perspective, what maths is for me and how that relate to life and you know, it's, it's not about, uh, you know, making the sum or, or, or the maths operation there. It's really about, uh, you know, what, what is that, that, why that's important for you and that's how that uh, impacts life. So I do have a very good uh, a success rate of them coming out of that conversation and, ah, that's cool and et cetera, and going for their homework with much more appetite mm -hmm. uh, than they were in the beginning. So that's storytelling within yeah. teaching, isn't it? Where there's another theme for today, I think, you know, the power of sharing story and relatable experience. Yeah, so I, I think all of these are having the role models there as well. So I definitely think that they will change the landscape and making more, you know, kids will be interested in those. And young people engage when they see the reason why. So I think the introduction of more um, uh, present female role models in maths and, and in STEM um, actually tells the story as to why. So you're here and you don't see it, you know, a, how it relates to you and the, um, where you're going to go. But there's a lady there, a woman who's in that position, who's telling you, she's mapping back and saying, to get to where I am, to live mm. this life, this is what you need to um, do at school. So I guess it's the connection between 
the workplace, the woman's experience, and then the pathway there. So it's making those pathways explicit that will help hmm. increase engagement. All the more reason to amplify those voices in a platform such as changing the game. Any other questions for us? We'll take two more and wrap it up. I agree. Let's do that. So we've got Karen from Business Growth, a great concept. For Nicole, a large percentage of young people end up doing apprenticeships but come out of these with no business skills or real life skills. Do you have a plan to engage with these industries, in particular trade businesses? Yeah, I mean, the um, end point for our young people, we will help them obviously get there, but that's we are intending to co-design the program. So um, we believe that, that you know, it does take a village to educate a child as, as well as rage, uh, raise them. So um, because everything will be project-based, if we have a young person who's interested in the trades, um, obviously working with their employer or their, um, the business that they are, um, the industry that they're engaged in to, to really see what we need to do back at, um, on campus to mm. in their projects to help them really be prepared but you're right most tradies now end up as business owners and um, those skills um, are not I guess explicit um, within the training um, the trade um, training for those students yeah and there'd yeah. be a lot of other professions that, that yeah. mirror that same model yeah. that you are a business as yeah. well as having learned that expertise yeah. whether it's in STEM or otherwise. I mean entrepreneurship is a great example and there's a lot of entrepreneurship programs and they're usually for the um, middle school um, students and lower school students as soon as you get to year 11 12 your things get serious you've got to do exams and do your 45 minute classes and get through the curriculum so that's you know obviously the project-based approach that we have we actually have the um the benefit of being able to embed entrepreneurship skills into whatever um category or industry those young people want to go into brilliant all right one last question so i'm going to combine two because gustav andres and anonymous have asked very similar questions around the future of idea um, Anonymous is particularly interested in the direction of policy change and are you going to step into that advocacy space for change and Gustav is looking to know more about whether you're going to go national. Yes, um, <laughs> yes. Uh, that is the big idea. The big idea is actually to model um, how we can use the current um, funding that's available um, and the structures that are in place um, but do something just a little bit different which is happening in small pockets around Australia, but to be able to provide, uh, you know, the research behind that. So you can understand when you're changing policy, you can't just do it on a whim. Um, there needs to be strong evidence um, of efficacy for that change. And so mm -hmm. I guess that that's one of the roles um, that we will play. And advocacy is actually one of the three um, branches of IDEA. Um, and that is us working with business industry um, and other agencies to really, um, universities as well, to really um, provide the evidence that's required for that. What, was there another little bit to that question? Um, uh, national. Um, going national. Oh, let's just work at this level first. <laughs> but yes, obviously there is a, in the pipeline um, yeah. a dream for that, but yeah. But we yeah. do still have state-based education. We I have guess state work within yeah, that yeah, paradigm yeah. for now. What a, what a fascinating conversation. Uh, I think you'll agree if you're watching on that we've got two very interesting guests, which has been evidenced by the amount of questions you have asked. So thank you so much for watching and engaging with us so effectively. I hope that your next step is to go and check out the Changing the Game show. Find it on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Nicole, thank you for talking Thanks about for idea. Great to have you here. And Wilson, congratulations.
Thank, thank you, thank you. I, I, I'm just feeling thankful and grateful. So uh, uh, just having so it's our audience present there and asking the you know, questions and answers, have a guest like Nicole, that's, you know, it's about these stories, not about uh, not about me. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm awesome, <laughs> loving it. What a fantastic morning. I hope you have a fantastic day and enjoy the rest of your week. I'm Carmen Braidwood. Thank you so much for being with us. <laughs>